good to be together to share and reflect on this passage uh, together. Um, John 17 that we heard today, read so beautifully, as always, by David, brings us to the end of kind of Jesus' farewell to his friends, to the disciples. Uh, and for us as listeners at the moment through this series of lectionary readings that we've had over the last few weeks, it, it's all a little bit confusing because, of course, we, we celebrated Easter back in, well, it feels like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? But back in April. Um, and it's strange because then we've gone back a few weeks before Easter to Jesus' last meal. You remember perhaps last week with his disciples. We've been sitting at the Passover table, listening to Jesus, hearing from him, hearing his heart and his promises to those disciples. Chapter 17 is Jesus' closing prayer, if you like. He looks up to heaven and prays first for himself. Not the agonising prayer in Gethsemane found in the other Gospels, but he prays something different here. Jesus prays for those who are sitting at the table with him. He prays for his friends. He's a bit like a mother sitting, looking around at his adopted children. And he's sort of saying, well, you know, they, they belong to God, but God has given them to him to care for for this season, to nurture them, to teach them. But soon Jesus will go away. And so he prays for these children with a really tender heart. You really see the, the tenderness of Jesus in this prayer. But Jesus' Jesus' prayer doesn't only reach out to those sitting at the table with him. He says this, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So he's not just praying for the disciples there, he's praying for you and for me, all who believe in their message. He's praying for us. We're the ones who have come to believe because of the disciples' words and because of their message that stretched out over the distances and through the years. And his prayer, he's praying that we will remain faithful and trust in the presence of the Holy Spirit, trust in God's continuing presence. Jesus prays for us all, then, in that moment. And perhaps even more remarkably than that, he didn't just pray then, he actually continues to pray for us. Romans 8, verse 34 tells us that Jesus right now is interceding for us. He's praying for you and for me right now. And what might he be praying, I wonder? Well, this was his prayer, wasn't it? Verse 20 and 21. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Oneness. He's praying that we might be one. I wonder what he meant by that. And I wonder what that might look like. Oneness, that we might be one as he is one with the Father. It's a really simple prayer, isn't it? It seems so simple, just that we'd be one. But sadly, the obvious, most simple things often get lost or forgotten in the busyness or the noise of life. It's amazing how amongst the distractions and noise, we can so often lose sight of everything else. Which does remind me of a story I once heard about a pirate. Um, When I was young, I didn't want to be a vicar. I quite fancied being a pirate, actually. True story. Um, Some of you may say I'm not too far from that. But in this story, a pirate walked into a bar one night and says to the bartender asking for a drink, and the bartender says to him, wow, gosh, I haven't seen you for a while. What happened? You look terrible. And the pirate says, well, what do you mean I look terrible? I feel okay. 
And the bartender says, yes, but what about the wooden leg? You didn't have that before. Oh, well, yes, no, that's true. Well, we were in a battle and a cannonball got, took my leg clean off. But I'm okay now. Well, well, okay, says the barman, but what about that hook? Ah, uh, yeah, well, that's true. So I was in quite a nasty um, sword fight in a different battle and, you know, my hand got cut off with a sword and so I was given a hook. But I'm fine, I'm okay now. And the bartender says, yes, but what about your eye patch? Ah, says the pirate. Well, one day we were at sea and a flock of birds flew over and I looked up and one of them got me right in the eye. You're kidding, says the bartender. Surely that doesn't, you don't lose an eye from that. No, said the pirate, but it was the first day after having my hook fitted. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad joke. I appreciate that. Sometimes we can all be very busy as church, doing lots of worthy and good things, trying to live our lives well, but sometimes forget the most important, the most obvious things, the things that are right in front of us. Perhaps the most important things, because we're distracted, or we simply forget them. Well, Jesus is praying for this simple prayer, perhaps so simple that we take it for granted or we forget it. His deepest longing, his greatest longing, is that we, his family, might be one. That the way we can best honour God, the way we can best serve him, the way we can truly best be church is by being one. I would suggest we really need to listen to the, his priority of heart and focus on what he is saying to us. So this prayer of Jesus right at the end of his ministry is definitely an important thing to look at. It's the last thing he's really praying and trying to drum into his disciples then, but also for future generations. It's a remarkable, remarkably simple prayer, and therefore it should be really simple to do it, shouldn't it? Oneness, I mean, you know, being one, it's obvious, isn't it? Living well together in community, it can't be that hard, can it? And then we begin to look at church history, littered with divisions and disunity and arguments and church splits and disagreements, and jealousy, and rivalry, and bitterness, and comparisons, and mistrust, and anger. And we recognise it, don't we, throughout church history. And not just between churches, but if we're also honest, sometimes in churches. I remember when I first became a kind of junior pastor many years ago in Bristol, a very wise older pastor said to me this, he said, Tim, I never realised until I became a pastor that sheep have teeth. <laughs> I didn't really know what he meant at that time, but I guess a few years later, I suppose I do. You know, it's so easy within churches for gossip to run rife, or malicious talk, or slander, or rumours that run under the surface. I'm so grateful that I'm in a parish where I don't experience that. We're not perfect, probably, are we? But I'm really thankful that we're in a parish that there is incredible love, and grace and kindness towards one another. The truth is some of the problems that we see between, between churches and between Christians in churches can be rooted in deeply historic ancient roots, so way in the past, way beyond anyone's actual remembrance. I have many friends in Ireland, in both North and Southern Ireland, and when you see the March of the Orange Men and the different arguments between people that have been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years, it seems bizarre, and yet, the anger and the pain is so real. I know historically, between St Matthew's and St Thomas of Becket, historically, there were real challenges and disagreements. 
perhaps up to the kind of even recent years. We talked about the peal of bells being rung for the Queen. I should just like say that when the Queen asked for the peal of bells to be rung, it isn't just at St Matt's. <laughs> <laughs> just in case you wondered if I had a very special connection. I'm sure I do, but possibly they're being rung elsewhere as well. But we, we, you may know, I know some of you definitely know, that the, the bells were originally taken from St Thomas of Becket to St Matthew's. And when they were hung there in that church, the church wardens from both churches had a punch-up about it. And we do laugh about it because it seems funny, but of course, clearly at the time it wasn't, was it? And it's amazing how some of those ripples of pain and jealousy or anger, even they historically can, can remain. I'm so thankful that I know God called me here to this parish with your help to model something new, what it means to be one. Different churches, but one family. And we really, really do see that. Let's hear again his prayer. I pray, says Jesus, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them. I think it's true, isn't it, when people outside the church look at the church and see divisions and arguments and separations and splits, it doesn't really point to Jesus, does it? But when they see a church that's vibrant and full of love and friendship and laughter and joy and partnership, then it kind of reeks of heaven, I think. That sort of unity isn't simply a nice idea, it's something that points towards the reality of God. John 13:35 says this, By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. And that's why I'm passionate about unity. That's why I'm passionate about building connections between us as churches. I'm so thankful for the partnership here in the parish. That's why when I came here, I decided to have one PCC, one set of finances. It has had its challenges, but it's also had its joys and its blessings. And we see that across the whole parish. Jesus said, I pray that they might be one like I am one. What did he mean? Well, the Trinity, of course, we see that oneness. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some of you will have heard me speak of this before. But the early church fathers, in trying to explain the Trinity, came up with the word perichoresis, which is the kind of eternal dance of the Trinity. Now, I don't watch much dancing on television I'm sure there's some Strictly fans here. I won't ask you to identify yourself and embarrass yourself. That was a definite no from Jane over there. (laughs) But I do understand this, that when two people dance together and there's a beautiful union and a flow, it looks wonderful to look at, doesn't it? And there's an ease. The early church fathers came up with this word perichoresis, which comes from two Greek words, peri, which means around, and chorine, which means to give way to. And what they were trying to say is that the the Trinity is like this beautiful, endless dance where the Father gives way to the Son, who gives way to the Holy Spirit and honours the Father, and the Father honours the Son, and the Son honours the Holy Spirit. And each of them are dancing around, giving way to, making space for, not trying to draw attention to themselves, but honouring the other, preferring the other, giving way to the other as dancers give way to one another. It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. And that's what we're invited to join into. That's what we're invited to become part of, this beautiful dance of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit that each of us are invited into. We're invited to dance amongst them and to share and to hear his heartbeat in that time. I read this a few days ago and I do like it. It says this, In creation, God is inviting more and more people 
into the eternal dance of joy. Sin means that people are stepping out of the dance, stomping on feet instead of moving with grace, rhythm and reverence. But then in Jesus, God enters creation to restore the rhythm and beauty again. And together we're invited into the dance. I want to finish with this prayer from St Paul uh, in, from Romans. Romans 15 verses 5 to 6. He prays this for us. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity amongst yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus so that with one heart and mouth you together may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to read that in a different version. This is a contemporary version called The Message. I think it's really beautiful. It says this from Romans 15. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not only our voices, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the beauty of this church. And Father, when I pray that, I don't simply mean the building, because the true church is your people, the ecclesia. So I pray for us as church here in St. Thomas of Beckett, in St. Matthew's. I pray for our 8 o'clock congregation, the 10.30 congregations that meet here. Father, for our evening St. Matthew's congregations, for all the expressions of church throughout the week. We thank you for our wonderful buildings that are places of welcome and embrace. May we learn to love one another, to serve one another, to honour one another, to prefer one another and yield to one another. Father, thank you together as family. We sense more of who you are, your kingdom at work amongst us. Lord, may us as churches, may these buildings be shining beacons of light and hope in this world. Places of refuge and encouragement, places of welcome and warmth, that all may taste and see that you are good. That Jesus, you truly are Lord of our hearts. Lord, may we be one as you are one. For your glory we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.